Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. said we're in a study on the book of Ephesians and Hugh shared the last two Sundays on Ephesians 1 and chapter 1 I'm just going to give a brief little recap of chapter 1 because it kind of helps transition into chapter 2 in chapter 1 Paul opens with this burst of praise and thanksgiving to God because we have every spiritual blessing in Christ so he's just overwhelmed by praise and worship because we have everything we need in Christ, every spiritual blessing. Not every material blessing, right? It doesn't mean that, but the things that are important, the things that matter, the eternal things, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let us meditate on that this morning and sink into us this morning, that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Material blessings are nice too, right? We got an air conditioner last week. Woo! Central air in our house for the first time in seven years. And I'm telling you, material blessings are really nice. (laughs) I'm loving that air conditioning. It's so nice to at least start the day and leave the house cold instead of hot right away. I'm a busy person. I like to do a lot of things. I don't sit around and look pretty. I like to move and get going and get stuff done in my house. And so doing all that in my house without AC was not ideal. But so we finally have that. But again... Now we have air, but there's always something else. There's the porch, the porch needs to be done. There's the deck needs to be painted. The material things that we have, it's never ever enough. They don't last. But in Christ, we have every lasting, meaningful, true, eternal blessing in Jesus that God has given us, and it can't be taken away. That's why Paul is overwhelmed with praise and thanksgiving to God. And then it culminates to what God's big plans are for creation. His big purpose picture, a big, big picture purpose and plans for all of creation. And it culminates in verse 10 of chapter one. And that is to bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything. That's God's plan, his ultimate plan, is to bring everything under his headship and lordship so that Jesus gets the glory. And Paul went on to conclude the chapter with the resurrection power of God. That power that raised Christ from the dead, defeated Satan, defeated sin, defeated sin's hold on us, the consequence of sin, which is death, was defeated. And God demonstrated that he's powerful over all those things. And I wanna say this morning that death is powerful. Death is powerful. It has a hold on everything, every single thing, living on every person. But Jesus defeated that death. He defeated that power. His power is greater. He not only raised Christ from the dead, but he also raised him to the highest place and seated him in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father and placed everything under his feet. That means everything is under the dominion of Jesus. And then you can see God's great power at the end of the chapter working on our behalf, the behalf of the church. We see the great value that Jesus places on the church. We're God's holy people 
whom he calls the body of Christ. We're an extension of Christ. We're part of his body. That means we share in everything that Jesus has done. That imagery of a body is so good because you can't separate yourself from the head. You can't separate yourself from the church. You can't separate yourself from what Jesus has done. We all just get to share in everything that Christ has done. So we're joined and united with Christ in the way that arms and legs are connected to the body. That's how we're joined to Jesus. It means that when you think of church, you realize it's not a human organization. It's not something we can use for our own agenda. We are the body of Christ and we're the means and the vessel and the way that God is accomplishing his purposes and plans on the earth through his body, the arms and legs and the feet and the hands. We're actually the ones who are filling his plans on the earth. That's why the church is about his purposes, his blueprint, not a platform, not a position for us. And the purpose is to carry on the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is to save people. The mission of Jesus is to go and save people, to bring everything under the lordship of Jesus. Again, back to verse 10. That's his mission. We don't have to wonder what his mission is, and we're a part of that mission. So in chapter two, we're getting to chapter two. Paul begins to explain how God is gonna bring about his plans and purpose. How is he gonna bring about everything under the lordship of Jesus? And it starts with the salvation of individuals. It starts with salvation. And he explains how that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that can raise someone from spiritually dead to alive. Let's read in chapter two, verses one through seven. It should be up behind me, or you can turn in your Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage. So Paul is beginning by explaining the spiritual condition of humanity. And the problem is severe. The problem is severe. The state of being of every person before Jesus is dead, spiritually dead. Not just dead, but dead in sin, ruled by Satan. Satan and sin and death have a hold on everyone and there's nothing that anyone can do in their own power or in their own strength because again, they're spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. And Paul's explaining how severe the problem is of humanity. It's very common thinking in our culture, in our day and age, to think that people are basically good, right? We're, pretty, we're, we're, we're doing okay, we're pretty good. But actually, what Paul is saying is the opposite. We weren't just a little sick, we were dead spiritually. Dead, as much as in the same way Jesus was dead, Buried in a tomb, sealed, that's how dead we are spiritually. And only the resurrection power of God can do anything about it. God doesn't save us once we're alive. He saves us while we're dead. 
unresponsive to him in sin. It's incredible. Paul gives us five aspects of the human condition without Christ in these verses, and I'm gonna cover these five. Firstly, we're spiritually dead, I've just said so. Insensitive, not responsive to God. When you're dead, you can't be responsive, right? You can't thirst or hunger. Spiritually dead. So this thinking that people are searching for Jesus before they know Christ is actually not true. If Paul says spiritually dead, not responsive, not able to respond, not aware of their need, not searching for the one true God. Yes, people, we, before Christ, we filled you know, voids in our lives with religion. You may have a little bit of religion. You may have some spirituality that you find in some other thing, right? But not searching for the true God of the Bible. Spiritually unable to. And then once we're saved, we know that we hunger and thirst and we desire to know the true God more. But that desire is not there until Jesus saves us. Secondly, we're pulled or enticed by the ways of the world, Paul says in verse two. Following the ways of the world, that's what people are without Christ. And we know the ways of the world, embracing an anti-God, independent, live for myself kind of thinking. That's sort of the flow that everyone is going. And it's natural to think that when you're going in the flow that everyone else is going, that you're going in the right direction, right? Even though you're going in the wrong direction. I wanna use an example. When I first moved to the city, um, I was in my early 20s and I worked downtown and so I lived in Lakeview and I had to commute on the brown line, the L, and I would take that every morning during rush hour. This was back when people used to go to work and they actually went into the office. So the trains were packed. So I'd wait on the platform and I mean, I would let several trains go by and I would just be like, finally after two or three trains, I was like, I'm just gonna squeeze in, I don't care. Move out of my way. So I squeeze in and get downtown to Washington and Wells, get off at Washington and Wells. And my building was west of the loop on Madison, next to Union Station, like across the street from Union Station. So I have to get off and then I would walk west on Madison. And I'm telling you, I had to build up courage every single time. Because as I was walking west on Madison, it was like the rest of the whole entire city was getting off at Union Station and walking east on Madison to get into downtown. And the, the sidewalk was spilling over with people. I mean, they were spilling into the streets. And I had to walk through that. And so I had to build up courage. And finally, I was like, I'm going to be strong. I'm actually just going to walk straight and bump into everyone. <laughs> What's my strategy going to be? But every day I had to do that. And what I realized in, in reading this is that's kind of what Paul is saying here. The pull and the force of going with everybody. And when everybody's going in a direction, that's what we're like without Christ. We just go in the direction of everybody else, even though it's the wrong direction. Thirdly, we're pulled by the power of the ruler of air, of the air, sorry, pulled by the power of the ruler of the air. It's a mouthful. But of course, Paul here is referring to Satan. You may not know it or be aware, but we either belong to the kingdom of God or we belong to the kingdom of darkness, which is ruled by Satan. So without Christ, we're ruled by Satan. He's a harsh taskmaster. You can see it on people's faces. He's a harsh taskmaster. He drives people. He lies. He deceives. He doesn't allow any rest. He doesn't allow any peace. He's unforgiving, unrelenting. Before we knew Christ, which is the opposite of living in the peace and joy of being in God's kingdom. Fourthly, Paul said, without Christ, men and women are in bondage to the flesh, slaves to our own desires and thoughts. That's in verse three. Before we were saved, 
We're in bondage. It means almost, when you think of bondage, you really don't have a choice. You just gratify yourself and your cravings and your desires of your flesh all the time. And while some people might think, that sounds great, probably a really young person, most of us know that actually that is a form of bondage. And you're ruled by your flesh and just your desires, and it's a form of bondage. It's a popular opinion also that people's desires are from God and they should be followed. But is that really true? Actually, most human deep desires and thoughts lead to destruction and lead to disaster and ruin. Being highly aggressive towards others, anger, unforgiving, being dishonest. Sometimes people lie so much that they don't even know the truth from a lie anymore. These are the deep things in the hearts of humans being largely selfish at times, giving in to sexual cravings and desires, overindulging the desires of the flesh. If we're honest, those are the deep things that would be in our hearts if we just gave in to our flesh all the time. And the truth is, being led by our desires and thoughts leave us empty and unsatisfied. So that's why it's a form of bondage, because it can never satisfy. We heard a great sermon on sexuality um, in Europe when we were there for the equip there back in May. And actually, it, it was uncomfortable to some extent, but it was also really uh, refreshing to have these things spoken about in the church, and I think so needed in some ways. So I won't be uncomfortable for you, but I will say uh, one of the statements that the preacher said about sex, which I thought was so great and so countercultural, is that, do you know that if you don't have sex, you're actually not gonna die? It's not a necessity of life. And I think the important thing of what he was trying to say is, in a culture that worships just gratifying our desires and worships these things, actually the truth is, it's not a necessity of life. And I think such a, and I'm saying it with the young people in here, and I know that, because I know the strong, the pull of the world, and the pull to just do what everyone else is doing. When God says he has a different path and a different direction, and don't go the way of the world. And yes, it is good, and it is designed to be a blessing, and it is from God, but it's for in marriage, and it is for one partner, and anything outside of that is sin. And I just wanna have the courage to say that this morning because I do believe it's true. And it's God's way. Tyron said, some of you know Tyron, you'll remember he was with us in June. He said, you cannot claim the promises of God if you're not living in the plans and the purposes of God. Such a good thing to think about. We want the promise, we want the blessing. We want, Lord, you said this, you said this, you said this. But we're not living sometimes in the plans and purposes of God. We can't claim those things if we don't live in God's plans and purposes. Jesus actually reveals to us what living our lives should actually look like, and it is largely self-sacrificial. Lastly, fifthly, because of all this, humankind and the problem of humankind is we're under the wrath of God. All of us under the wrath of God. And all, of, all are deser deserving of God's wrath. Sin merits God's wrath. It's, that means it's deserved. We can't talk about the gospel. 
We can't talk about the love and the mercy and grace of God without talking about the wrath of God that we were under, that Jesus demanded, God demanded a price for sin. All the way back to creation into the garden, man was disobedient, going their own way, rebellious towards God, idolatrous, sinful to each other, desiring independence from God, and so all of that merits being under the wrath of God. So that is the problem of humanity. Paul makes it clear, the problem is severe. The state of humanity is everyone is spiritually dead, helpless, unable to respond to God, simply going with the flow of everyone on a path that leads to destruction, ruled by our own desires and under the rule of Satan and under the wrath of God. So the problem is severe, but there's a solution. There's a solution. We get to verse four, and it's a turning point in the book. And Paul says, but God intervened. But God intervened. That is the state of all of us before Christ. And that's the state of everyone around us. But God intervened. And we know the solution was to live a whole entirely new life altogether. The solution wasn't a cleaned up life. Change, get a little better, go to some therapy. The solution was living a completely new life in Christ. 100% new creation. And Paul, we know that that was achieved for us by Jesus, by his death and resurrection. It's a life that we live in Christ. We sang about it this morning. I felt like the songs were preaching my message. But the, we live it in Christ. We live it in him. We live it by him. We live it through him. That's a secret to the way we live the Christian life. That's an amazing secret. But Paul's main purpose is to stress all of his writing and leading up to this point, the sole passage, the main purpose, yes, there's the problem of sin, but the main crux of the message is to emphasize the incredible love and goodness of God, to emphasize his magnificence and his almost unbelievable goodness to us. And that's the, the thing that Paul wants us to focus on. So let's reread verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in sin, it is by grace you have been saved. Paul goes on to say that not only are we saved, but now our position is similar to Jesus. We talked about that a little because we're part of the body. And that's the main emphasis in the previous chapter also. Paul talks about that a lot, that we're in Christ. And Paul sees those who belong to Jesus as being in him, hidden in him. Our lives are hidden in Christ. So just, it means that whatever has happened to Jesus, it's as if it happened to us. So when he was raised, it's like we were raised. When he is seated in heavenly places, we are seated in heavenly places in glory. We're no longer ruled by the flesh, and we can say no to sin. And finally, the last three verses, beginning in verse eight. Uh, Paul, if there was any doubt, he re-emphasizes saved by grace. So let's read verses eight through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So if there was doubt, Paul is restating it, we're saved completely by the grace of God alone. Saved means rescued. We've been rescued from sin. We've been rescued from death. We've been rescued from the guilt and the shame and the defilement of sin and the power that sin had over us. We're rescued from all those things. And now we're alive and we're forgiven. Our position is in heavenly places and we have spiritual power and we have the holiness of Jesus. And this is solely an act of grace. Grace is the opposite of deserving something so that no one can boast in our salvation and Jesus gets all the glory. No one has done anything to save themselves. And it's through faith, not by faith, but it's through faith, Paul says. And even that faith is a gift of God. Even it's not our own faith, it's something that God works in us, the faith, the believing, the saving faith. Then we see here that there's purpose to our salvation, and the purpose is to do good works. We have purpose for our salvation, not just to be in heaven one day. Our lives here matter. What we do here matters. God has a purpose and plan for every single person. He says that we're his handiwork, his workmanship, another translation. That means a work of art. We are his works of art. Our lives are meant to be works of art, displaying Jesus' glory, his splendor, his majesty to the world. And he's given us good things, good works to do, each of us in advance prepared for us. God has specific, unique plans for every single person and things for us to do. We aren't saved by those works, but we are saved for purpose and for mission and for things that God has called us to. That means we don't need a prophetic word from the Lord for each day to wake up and live for Jesus. We don't need a prophetic word from the Lord each day to share our faith, to use our giftings, to serve each other, to serve others, to love people, to reach out. We don't need to hear God every day to know that those are the things we're supposed to be doing, even to contribute and be a participant in his local body. These are all things we know we're called to do and we can actively be participants, giving of our time, giving of our resources to build kingdom. These are things we already know we're called to do, even while we're waiting for some of the more specific plans for our lives. We all have seasons where we feel like, yes, I'm walking in these things, but I still feel like I need clarity on these more things, that more things that are to come, right? And that never changes, but in the waiting, we are faithful. We are, we are in active waiting. We're waiting, but we're doing. We're still actively participating. We're still actively praying and having faith and loving and doing good deeds and doing good works, the things that God has called us to do. Because God is faithful to bring about every single plan and purpose in our lives. He is faithful and he promises that he will do it. So we can trust him. And in the meantime, train and give ourselves to what God has called us to. Train and give yourself to what God has placed in your hands, to where you're at, to whatever opportunities you have. Train and work at those things so that when the time comes, we're ready. We're ready. Rain is a swimmer, my daughter Rain in the front row. And she starts high school tomorrow and she made the swim team. So yes, so she swims hours, of, hours a day training, intense training, so that on the race day, she can perform, and constantly improving her time, constantly trying to improve her time so she can perform. A musician, I was actually a piano major in college, 
Um, and I had minimum requirement was four hours a day in the practice room playing piano. That was the minimum requirement. So as a musician, you practice hours and hours and hours so that when you actually are doing it, the music flows and it's dripping with, you know, anointing and people are ministered to. It's the same with our spiritual giftings and the things we feel called to. A great teacher of the word studies and trains his whole or her whole life to be able to give a message eventually one day that is um, powerful and as weighty and can reveal Christ to people. That doesn't come the first time you preach. It doesn't come the second. It might not even come the hundredth, but it eventually comes. And it comes with a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of reading and studying and spending time with the Lord. Train and use our giftings. Get ready for when God does call us and when we get an opportunity. Um, I remember a word from Chanel last year. Some of you probably don't know Chanel. Some of you do. But uh, she comes, she's a friend of our church. She's a very prophetic lady. She comes and she ministered here last summer. And the word that she gave us was, get your training shoes on, your spiritual trainers, your sneakers, because we are training, spiritually training. Some of us train at the gym, right? Lift a lot of weights. We also lift spiritual weights as we train. We're building our spiritual muscles so that when God calls us, we're ready. Our lives here matter. I'm gonna say it again. We need to use what we have and use it for Jesus. We need to be disciplined and diligent with what he's given us. So let's give ourselves to the good works that God has called us to. Make sure that our lives count while we're here. I wanna close this morning just reading a short devotional, if that's okay. It's only two minutes. So it won't be too long, but it's just a devotional meditating on the love of God. I have like a little morning and evening Charles Spurgeon devotional. I like old kind of old style writing. I find it really rich and it's just different, so I listen differently. But I wanna just read it, it's two minutes, um, and just meditate on the love of God this morning because that is the main emphasis of Paul's message out of Ephesians, is for us to know his amazing love. So I'll ask us if you wanna close your eyes, you can, or just listen. Meditate a little on the steadfast love of the Lord. It is tender love. With gentle, loving touch, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He is as gracious in the manner of his steadfast love as in the matter of it. It is great steadfast love. There's nothing little in God. His steadfast love is like himself, it is infinite. You cannot measure it. His mercy is so great that it forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time and then gives great favors and great privileges and raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. It is undeserved steadfast love, as indeed all true mercy must be, for deserved mercy is only a misnomer for justice. There was no right on the sinner's part to the kind consideration of the Most High had the rebel been doomed at once to eternal fire, he would have richly merited the doom. And if delivered from wrath, sovereign love alone has found a cause, for there was none in the sinner himself. It is rich, steadfast love. Some things are great, but have little efficacy in them. But this steadfast love is a tonic to your drooping spirits, a golden ointment to your bleeding wounds, a heavenly bandage to your broken bones, a royal chariot for your weary feet, a place of love, for your trembling heart. It is manifold steadfast love. 
All the flowers in God's garden are double. There is no single steadfast love. You may think you have only one steadfast love, but you will find it to be a whole cluster of mercies. It is abounding steadfast love. Millions have received it, but far from its being exhausted. It is as fresh, as full, and as free as ever. It is unfailing steadfast love. It will never leave you. If mercy is your friend, mercy will be with you in temptation to keep you from yielding, with you in trouble to prevent you from sinking, with you in living to be the light and the life of your countenance, and with you in dying to be the joy of your soul when earthly comfort is ebbing fast. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love. Thank you for your incredible love, Lord. Just as we sang, we build our lives on your love, Lord. Each of us now receive your love, Lord. We receive it. We receive your love and your strengthening and your encouragement. Encourage us, God, in your love. Your love propels us. It compels us. It moves us. Thank you, Jesus, for everyone here, God. Thank you for your incredible love for us, God. God, just bring your rest and peace in people's hearts and in our lives, Lord, this morning. Help us reflect on the incredible love that you've shown us, Lord. Go with us, God, as we leave from here. I pray we won't forget. We won't forget the calling. We won't forget the reason for the calling. We won't forget to awe and wonder in you and what you've done, God, each day, taking time to reflect on you and the incredible salvation that we have, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.